Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast for fascinating people like you to listen to fascinating people who I've been fortunate enough to have as guests on the show. Uh, I am Madam Perry, your groove mistress, your spiritual advisor, and I am just happy to have you here, happy to be here. That song was uh, When I Was All Alone 
by the Chris White Experience. You, Chris White was here recently, about two months ago. Um, he was an original member of the band The Zombies and also Argent with Rod Argent, also a Zombies member. And uh, this is, um, you know, he said he found, a, his son found a tr- uh, so many songs that he had written and just done demos on, but never and never put out for other people to hear. So his son got him into it. And, of course, you know, that's the voice of Colin Blundstone that was singing on that. You always know Colin Blundstone, uh, Time of the Season, and Tell Her No, that voice. So, yeah, that's that. I want you to know, too, oh, people have asked me also about um, some previous guests. Last week we had Zuzu of the band Soraya. And... I, I I first learned about them. Uh, they play them a lot on every show on Little Stevens Underground Radio on Sirius XM. But they are a hard rocking band, and God, Zuzu's voice is just exquisite. Uh, they are going to go on tour soon, and if you check their website, you'll see there's going to be an American leg of the tour, and then they go to Sweden for... Uh, several dates there and then come back so that was that also recently we had glenn uh uh, glenn he's also known as dc the brain supreme uh from tag team whoop there it is and you might have seen him recently he's worked on the show uh games people play on bet and also on the Geico commercial with the Wolf, there it is, him and his partner from the band, uh, about the ice cream. And DC is the one that says sprinkles at the end. And he also, uh, on the show, a lot of people ask about this, but on the show, he gave lots of advice to people starting off in show business or any kind of business. He had lots of advice and good advice for everyone. And he even gave out his email address on the show if you want to ask him a question. So, and I know his, his email address because we email. So, yeah, so check that out with uh, DC Glenn, the Brain Supreme from Tag Team. So, that show, and yeah, he's happy. He is the most generous man. He's happy to help everybody. Well, tonight's guest has been here before, and I'm so happy to have him back because we need him even more than before. He's a professor, author, mindfulness expert, and actually I could read more of what he does, but that would take up, I guess, the next 10 minutes. Uh, He's a pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, professor at Stanford University Medical Center, and a number one best-selling author, member of the Stanford WellMD Initiative, and I'm just going to say, welcome him back here to the Genie Bottle. That is my cultural salon in cyberspace. Dr. Greg Hammer, welcome back. Nice to be with you. Oh, well, we're happy to have you. i got so many things, uh, you know, I could keep on giving credentials for you, but then we wouldn't get to talk to you. And by the way, um, just in case, since we didn't get to talk much before the show, anything you want to bring up that I forget to ask about or whatever, you know, I've had herding dogs for about 40 years, so I'm easily herded, 
but I'm not easily offended. So you can segue as subtly or as <laughs> bluntly as you want, and uh, I'll follow your lead. Anyway, okay, your book. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. And I don't, I think we established before, you don't need to be a specific a healthcare professional to get a lot out of your book. And then again, in the last maybe year and a half, a lot of people have become maybe not healthcare professionals, but giving care at home and taking care of ourselves. So uh, start for people um, that missed you last time. Just give us a brief description of why you wrote Game Without Pain. Sure. Well, uh we uh, at Stanford formed an initiative, as you mentioned uh, at the beginning of this interview, which is called WellMD, and that was formed in response to the growing uh, epidemic, if you will, of burnout among physicians and other healthcare workers. And we at Stanford felt that we needed to do something about that. So WellMD was formed several years ago. and. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I've been asked to uh, give uh, a talk uh, back about uh, five years ago on a burnout and wellness amongst physicians at a national meeting, and I did that and, and got invited to do it again and again and sort of took on a life of its own. So I wanted really to create a programmatic approach to individual wellness, which has been really an interest of mine for, for decades. and. Meanwhile, I've been a longtime meditator and student of Advaita or non-duality, and I've sort of developed my own approach to mindfulness practice. And uh, the elements of wellness, I thought, would work well together. I think there are four pillars of wellness that support our spiritual well-being, and uh, those are gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And I had some sabbatical time. The talks I was giving on this approach were well-received, and so I just decided I could spread the message further by writing a book. And so I did exactly that in collaboration with some colleagues of mine, and uh, things have kind of continued to take off from there. Meanwhile, I continue to practice medicine, do research out of my lab at Stanford, and uh, so I got a lot of irons in the fire, but the origin of, of this approach, I think, is sort of multifactorial beginning, I think, with my interest in wellness uh, related to the problem of burnout amongst healthcare providers. Yeah, and healthcare providers have really had it rough the last year and a half, um, even more so. I, I, I think just. It's just increased exponentially that what people are going through. And, of course, we hear it every day and we read about it we see it, but we can't even imagine what healthcare providers are going through right now. Now, you were talking about the GAIN. The acronym stands for Gratitude, Acceptance, Intention, and Non-Judgment. That's a good one. Gratitude makes me think of, you know, uh, the saxophone player Dave Koz. Yeah. He was on here uh, here on the show a couple of months ago, and that is a big word for him, gratitude. Uh, he credits that with um, a lot of things that make us successful and happy in life and, and keep our stress levels down. Um, and then 
acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. I know we're going to talk a lot more about intention and setting intentions, but tell us how uh, the the other part, gratitude, acceptance, these things, I think our minds and bodies, and I've, I've heard you say this before, our minds and bodies deeply connected, and every thought we have has a direct cellular effect on our bodies when we set an intention um, and about how the communication pathways between our mind, brain, and body fire up. So explain explain it for us lay people. Sure. Well, our minds are kind of, our brains are hardwired for certain attributes, and one of them is that we have a negativity bias. So we tend to focus on the negative and forget about the positive. We remember our unpleasant experiences and, and cling to those unpleasant thoughts at the expense of more positive thoughts and experiences. And we also tend to have obsession with the past and the future. And we can get very easily mired in thinking about the past that leads to regret, remorse, the feeling of shame, embarrassment. And likewise with the future, uh, overthinking the future and what's going to come coupled with our negativity bias tends to have us catastrophize or imagine the worst thing that can happen, even though it's extremely likely ever to transpire, but we tend to fixate on that. And again, this generates fear and anxiety. And so on the other hand, happiness is really in the present moment. So the question is, I think happiness is all that the entire planet, 7 billion of us want. How do we get more of that? Well, we have to go back to the way our minds work with this negativity bias and obsession with the past and the future. And the good news is that although we seem to be hardwired to think in those ways, and you know, many of us feel like we're the only one who does, but in fact, all of us have this negativity bias and obsession with something other than the present moment. Um, the good news is that we have a quality called neuroplasticity, which means that we can actually rewire our brains if we put our minds to it, if you will. And so, in other words, if we're purposeful about it, we can become more pragmatic, happier, more present-minded. And when we find that we're mired in experiences of the past or the future, we can recognize that and kind of smile and recognize what we're doing and let go of those thoughts. So when we do this, we engage in this practice of sort of rerouting or rewiring our thought processes, it is a self-propelling process. And so in other words, uh, we can actually rewire the way we think over time. And uh, again, this process is called neuroplasticity. And uh, so we need to be intentional about it. We need to have a, a daily practice that is oriented toward reshaping the way that we think. Does meditation help this or help facilitate that? Absolutely. Well, you know, a lot of people have tried meditation and they believe that they failed and so they've kind of given it up. Uh, Or maybe they did it for a while and then uh, over time decided uh, against it. But um, the fact is that uh, meditation is simply going to our breath 
and uh, using our intention to have a particular experience of being present. So again, many people are told that um, they have to sit uncomfortable in an uncomfortable position for 30 minutes at a time and banish all thoughts from their mind. And that's meditation. And really that's not meditation and that's very difficult and unnecessary, for, difficult for people to do that. And, and my approach to meditation is a, is a meditation embracing the principles of gain, of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. It can be done in as little as three minutes. So what I teach is uh, we get up in the morning, we open the blinds, we let the light in, we do our morning hygiene, and then we find a comfortable place to sit. And in as little as three minutes, we have a practice whereby we first get in touch with our breathing, we close our eyes, we're comfortable, we take a deep breath, we breathe in slowly to the count of three, we hold our breath to the count of three, and then we without effort, exhale to a count of four. And we get into this rhythm where we do a couple of cycles of just focusing on our breath. And this tends to slow our heart rate down. It tends to lower our adrenaline levels. And as we feel ourselves relaxing, then we can begin to contemplate the G in game first and that for which we're grateful. And we all have so much for which to be grateful. So I personally uh, am grateful for my health, for my work, uh, the ability to take care of children and their families. I'm grateful for the loved ones in my life and for so many other things. And so I, I will perhaps meditate on various different elements for which I'm grateful uh, on a daily basis. And then we move to acceptance. And this is based on the fact that there's pain and suffering in all of our lives. Uh, none of us experiences life without pain and suffering. I think there's a sort of global pain and suffering. I think we suffer from the way we've treated each other over the millennia, uh, enslaving our brothers and sisters in Africa and putting them in ships holds and shipping them under terrible conditions off to Europe and North America uh, where they've been isolated from their families. And it's just uh, unthinkable. I think there's still a resonance in the background of pain and suffering that we all experience. And then, of course, you don't have to look very far uh, in the news at the moment to, to realize how much pain and suffering there is. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. The earthquake in Haiti, along with the storms. I was listening on public radio this morning about people sleeping outside in the pounding rain because they had no other place to go. So, and we all have our own pain and suffering as well as part of life. And the idea is to actually open our hearts to this pain and suffering and embrace it, let it in, merge with it. And we find that it's actually something that we can live with. So we, we go through our gratitude. We go through acceptance of that painful experience that we cannot change. We move toward intention. And here, really, we just want to recognize that through purposefulness, we can rewire our brains. And, uh, you know, a great example of that is a program at Duke University called Three Good Things, where they've done uh, a research project involving enrolling tens of thousands of people uh, online. And they simply pledge to think of and, and if possible, write down three good things that happened to them during the day as they prepare to go to bed. And what they found through 
sequential quality of life surveys in these people is that they actually become happier. They sleep better and they actually become happier simply by contemplating three good things that happen to them during the day before they go to sleep at night. So this is a, a, a very elegant example of a very simple intention and how it can have such an impact on the way we think. And then finally, we contemplate non-judgment. And that can be something as simple as, you know, we're driving to work, somebody changes lanes in front of us without using their turn signal, we start to judge what a bad driver they are, what an inconsiderate person they are, and we recognize that we're doing this and we just let the judgment drop. We see the world just exactly as it is. It doesn't have to be labeled good or bad, and we see ourselves eventually the same way, which is perhaps the most difficult thing for us to do. We are neither good nor bad. We can look at ourselves without judgment. And then we return to the breath for a few breaths and then just slowly open our eyes. And, and although it took me more than three minutes to go through that, actually the experience can take as little as three minutes. And it really sets up our way of thinking for the day whereby we remember to be grateful. We're walking down the hall, going to a meeting, uh, or I'm going to see a patient. I just sort of sink into this practice of gratitude or Perhaps I've been thinking uh, uh, critically of, of another person or myself, and I recognize that I'm doing this, and I decide to drop those judgments. So once we are actually in this rhythm of thinking about these four elements of gain, it actually can change the way we think, and we can look back. After doing the simple daily practice for a few weeks, a few months, we can look back and recognize how much more relaxed we are. Uh, that a lot of our anxiety and fear has begun to dissipate. And so we take baby steps on a daily basis, and that's how we learn, and that's how we progress. Hmm. You know, it sounds so reasonable and so simple. Uh, and not, not to downplay, it's simple and it, in a beautiful way. Um, like, that's it? That's what we have to do? Well, that shouldn't be so bad because we all know it, it. We can forget these things sometimes. Yeah, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know, people, it's easy to get irritated. But then, I don't know. I told my girlfriend, I said, you know, these days you never know. Somebody could have just got a pink slip at work. Somebody could have uh, just lost a friend. Somebody could have gotten some bad news, and they're just not thinking about how they're, you know, little things, and they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And we have to all be aware of things like this in each other. Um Gratitude, yeah, I can see that. Um, I had a situation I might have mentioned where I was driving uh, across several states, and it was a night, almost midnight, and I hit a drive shaft that fell out of a tractor trailer, and two mm-hmm. other cars ahead of me hit it. So we're over the side of the road, you know, we all have flat tires, and you know, to call the wrecker, and it's like, you know as a tire, all these things. And everybody that knew about it said, oh, that's awful. Oh, that's so bad. Oh, how horrible. How did you endure it? I go, well, first of all, first thing I thought of was it's just a couple of flat tires, no body damage. The other two cars ahead of me, none of us hit each other. We all had about the same kind of damage. When the tow truck came, it was a young couple, as nice as they could be. They were a lot of fun. They took me to a... I said, can you take me to, show me the tire place nearby, and is there a Waffle House near it? They said, it's right next door. 
So when I sit in the Waffle House, <laughs> wait for a couple of hours for the tire place to open, I heard the most wonderful stories of the people at the table all around me. And I'm writing them down thinking, this is good material for, you know, any kind of sitcom I write or story. This is great. And uh, then the tire guys, you know, they were very nice. And then I got my tire done, got home. I got to say, I had an adventure. And and everybody was, didn't you feel miserable? Weren't you scared? No, not really. I mean, there's a lot worse things that could happen to somebody. But I just, you know, you got to take, a, if you take it as an adventure, and, and it was, you know, it wasn't the worst thing that ever happened to me. But it did. Sure, well, that's a great example. You know, we, we, we all have, everybody's got something. So we all have, for example, physical maladies. Um, on the other hand, things could be much worse. And sometimes it takes an injury or a, an event like that actually to wake us up a bit and make us realize that we've been uh, unconsciously taking for granted our good health, you know, the fact that we are, have a nice car, that we have a good job, whatever our circumstances are, we sort of take for granted. until something happens that maybe jars us and, and wakes us up and, and even if there is an injury, even if there is a physical uh, debility, uh, we can still have a positive attitude about it. Things could be much worse. And we're all aware of stories of heroic people who have uh, horrible medical and physical experiences who are just uh, exemplary in their, in their bravery and in their heart and in their persistence. And so we all should be grateful for the health that we have, um, you know, despite the fact that we all have something uh, that we can complain about. <laughs> we all have a lot going for us as well. <laughs> That's true. Now, when I grew up, I know that um, <clears throat> maybe it was the culture that I was in. There was just a lot of judgment, and some of it was from uh, church people, like, well, look at what they wear, or, or what do they wear to church, or did they wear white shoes after Labor Day, things that aren't important. But there was a lot of judgment. And I seemed to find as a child that, Everybody who judged somebody was miserable. And I thought, you can't keep thinking bad stuff. Uh, Dr. Hammer, you've heard of, uh, I went to see a friend of mine graduate, get her PhD at Georgia State University. You've heard of, I mean, excuse me, Georgia Tech. You've heard of Georgia Tech, right? Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> okay, in Atlanta. Anyway, uh, so a girlfriend was getting her PhD in some kind of biochemistry or something. I didn't understand it. I was just happy to be there for her. And I was sitting with her husband and a girl, another girlfriend of hers, and we're sitting watching with the masters and the Ph.D. people. And back in the piece, we see this one woman sitting in the back row of the Ph.D. group, and she's got a cell phone on. She's got her leg thrown up on one chair, and we're just going, oh, we were merciless. We were going, oh, so she's getting her Ph.D., and she can't be bothered to sit up. So she's got to sit there in the back with a leg over the chair and propped up, lean back, and she's got her cell phone. And this on a day like this, you know, and we, we were, we were bad. Then when the woman got up, we realized she was about nine and a half months pregnant, and we felt like, we felt like we should feel ashamed. I thought, okay, here we were talking about her. The woman is about to give birth. She probably had to have her phone just in case it was getting through her graduation and then go have a baby. So things aren't always what they look like. So once we start judging, it can go. 
That gave us that's a right. I, yeah, I agree with you. And you know, we are always making judgments. It's just uh, again, and we're sort of hardwired to do that. Apparently, we're always looking around us and making comparisons between others and ourselves, or uh, other people, uh, and and you know, various people uh, comparing them to each other, and you know, judging that this person is better looking than that person, or I'm smarter than this person, or, uh, you know, that person is uh, better looking than I am, et cetera. Um, and it's really nonproductive, and it wastes a lot of mindful energy. Uh, you know, it's kind of exhausting to be judging everything all the time, and it, it actually is almost always a, a, a negative experience. So, you know, I tell a story in the book. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to live uh, very close to the medical center at Stanford. I ride my bike to work. I pass through this lane that is uh, just very pretty, uh, lined by trees. There's a beautiful canopy of leaves above and, you know, the sunlight in the early morning often filtering through, and it's quite pleasant. Mm. And I'm riding to work one day, and I'm approaching an individual who's walking in the same direction I am. And as I get closer, I see that uh, the person has uh, buds in their ears. And as I get a little bit closer, I see that they're staring at their screen as they're walking, and I'm thinking oh, you know, this is such a beautiful environment. Why is that person on their cell phone or looking at their screen? And I start to make judgments. And then, of course, the person is sort of walking in the middle of the path. And I start to think that they're inconsiderate. It's going to be tough for me to get around them. And then I remember that I just had my game meditation. And uh, I set my intention on non-judgment for today. And I get a little laugh. And I just drop the judgments. And as I pass the person on my bicycle... I look at them kind of with a smile, and they look up at me with a smile, and it was a pleasant experience. So simply by rerouting my thoughts, recognizing that I was being judgmental, just by that recognition and the ability to drop those judgments converted something that was kind of an unpleasant thinking experience to a pleasant interaction with another human being. And, yes, you you said... These principles sound so simple, and the practice also sounds so simple. And the principles and the practice are simple. They are the simple truth. And they're accessible to us at all times. And all we have to do is recognize the way we're thinking and, and sort of sink into our practice. And, and we'll be much more present and happier by doing that. When you talk about um, the difference between goals and intentions? Sure. Well, goals are often kind of long-range plans. So um, I'll tell you a story that sort of embodies that. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a bike rider, so I, I take my bike down from the wall in my garage, and my goal is to pedal up to the top of the hills that uh, form a, a little range uh, parallel to the coast of uh, Northern California, and my goal is to kind of go up a winding road up to the top of the, the ridge, and I can see the Pacific Ocean from there. And so my goal is to make it up there and, and look at the ocean. Um, so it's kind of a, although it's a short-term goal, of course, it's take me an hour to get up there. Um, my intention, on the other hand, is to enjoy the ride. So my intention is related to the process. The goal is sort of an end, if you will. 
So I'm, I'm pedaling and I'm focusing on each rotation of the pedals as I'm uh, working my way up the hill and starting to enjoy the view. And the process is really something that I, I very much love. And I eventually mm-hmm. get up to the top of the ridge. And meanwhile, the fog has rolled in. And uh, I can't see more than a couple of hundred feet. Forget about all the way to the ocean. And so should I be disappointed because I didn't achieve my goal? I didn't get to see the beautiful panorama of the Pacific Ocean? Or should I be content and happy that, uh, you know, my intention was to enjoy the ride and, and focus on, on the, the work I was doing in order to get up these hills? Of course, you know, I was, I was perfectly happy. Um, you know, I had fulfilled my intention, and, and the goal turns out to be relatively unimportant. And so I think we lead our lives with intention right now, every moment. And we have goals that are more long-term, and I think that we should recognize that our goals may change at any moment. And if we don't accomplish our goal, as long as we have satisfied our intention, you know, we've done, we've done something very positive. Okay. All right. I'm getting that. So goals are something in the future. It's something going forward, but attentions are present in the present moment. Yes. Feel that right away. Um, By the way, if... And the same thing applies to, you know, excuse me, go ahead. No, no, no. Please. I was just going to say it applies to many, many situations. You have a job. Your goal is to, uh, you know, make it to become a manager, let's say, or a vice president. Um, but your intention really is to do the best you can, to enjoy the people with whom you work, uh, to do an excellent job, uh, to be present along the way and, and focus. And so even if you never make it to being a vice president, it doesn't mean that you failed. If you've lived your life according to the intentions that you set out, then you've succeeded. And I think we can all relate to that. Mm-hmm. So I meant to mention earlier, if you want to, if you have a question or want to talk to Dr. Hammer, you can just call our studio, 646-716-9922. It's a toll-free call in the continental U.S. So it's 646-716-9922. And for people who can't make a call, uh, for whatever reason, maybe you're at a job and you've got to be quiet, you can just send me a message on Facebook, either to Madam Perry Salon or to Jennifer Maudette Perry. And I have a question from Scott, and he's in, oh, oh, he's near me. He's in Georgia. And he said, um, let me read this here. He said he's read parts of your book and wants to know when you talk about negative intentions and how that can affect outcomes as opposed to being more affirmative? Well, we talk about, uh, you know, the negativity bias we have. I don't know that our, uh, you know, I don't know if I've spoken about negative intentions per se, but um, we we do have this negativity bias. And, uh, you know, there's a story in the book, for example, about a, a resident that I was working with one day in the operating room and, we did four very challenging cases, and they all involved procedures for the resident to do to put in breathing tubes and epidural catheters and all kinds of vascular 
catheters and so on. And she did a fantastic job. First patient did just perfectly well. Um, procedure went fine. The breathing tube was removed at the end of the procedure. The patient was comfortable, went to the recovery room. It was a flawless anesthetic, if you will. Second patient, the same way. Uh, the resident couldn't get in one of the, uh, the catheters, though, so I had to come in and put in the arterial catheter. Uh, but the rest of the procedure went flawlessly. Resident did a great job. And the, the third and fourth cases went just like the first one. She just did an A-plus job, and the patients all did very well. And at the end of the day, we debriefed. I told her what a great job she did. She went home, and she had dinner with her husband. And as she was preparing to go to sleep and taking stock of her day, uh, did she remember all of the wins, all of the successes, everything that she did so well? No, she thought about that one arterial catheter that she couldn't get in successfully and that oh. Dr. Hammer had to step in and do it. And that is just exemplary of how we have this negativity bias. We tend to remember selectively negative things. And so, um, you know, Scott asked about negativity or negative intention. And uh, I'm sorry, remind me of the last uh, part of his question. Let me guess. Um, about... Um what do you say? How being uh, affirmative and um, or more positive can uh, have an effect on the outcome. Oh, absolutely. So take this example with my resident. Um, let's now have the same scenario, but instead of taking stock of her day before she goes to sleep and and focusing on the one thing that she missed. Let's say she practices three good things before she goes to sleep. So she thinks about, um, oh, she learned so much during the day. It was great working with Dr. Hammer. Uh, Oh, she connected so well with the patients and they expressed their gratitude. And, uh, you know, she got home and she was able to have a really nice dinner with her husband. So those are the thoughts that she uses her purposefulness, her intention to think about before she goes to sleep rather than, the negative experience, uh, the one negative wrinkle in her day, if it, it is to be judged that way. And, mm-hmm. of course, what happens then is she's happier. You know, she'll sleep more soundly, she'll wake up feeling better, and if she practices this as a routine, using her intention to adopt this three-good-thing practice every evening, you know, the way uh, her outcomes will be, significantly improved. You know, her experience will be much more positive and favorable. So, yes, we can actually influence the way we think. We can rewire our brains through intention. And so, Scott, I think, um, you know, I appreciate the, the question. And I think it's uh, exactly, it points exactly to, I think, one of the primary elements in gain, and that is intention. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you, Scott, for, for listening. And also, uh, Rebecca in Tennessee, her, she asked, what can you do to de-stress in public, like school or work, without zoning out? Uh, well, you know, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, there are always moments where you can redirect your thoughts to your breathing, for example. So go back to the breath. It's always accessible. You can always focus on the beauty of our breath that, that, you know, just this automatically without thinking about it, we, we take air in through our nose. And um, if we, if we do focus on our breath, we can pause at 
the end of the breath and then just sort of focus on the magic of how our body lets go of the breath. And it's just such a magical, peaceful process of having this air come into our chest and our chest expands and then the air is just naturally released back into the outside. And, you know, that takes a few seconds just to, to refocus on your breath, for example. And then, you know, if you have a few more seconds while you're walking down the hall and you refocus on your breath and you've taken a few deep breaths and, uh, and felt good about the way this sort of magical physiology occurs in the human body, then spend a few more seconds and contemplate that for which you're grateful. So think about the wonderful people that you're working with today and that the teamwork that you're experiencing or, you know, the, the magic of the hot water kind of in the shower in the morning as it washed over you and what a miracle that is that you turn the faucet on and this hot water comes out and, and what a pleasant experience that was. And then return to your breath. And so that's something you can do that it almost doesn't take any time at all. And, uh, you know, I think that we all have an opportunity where there's a pause in the action. We have to walk down the hall or we have to, uh, you know, wait for someone to call in or what have you. There's just brief little momentary segments of our day when we can kind of revert to or sink into our wellness practice, our, our game practice, for example. That's true. But I thank Rebecca for that call because it points out that, you know, these practices are, in fact, so simple and really almost non-time-consuming. And, and, you know, that's really the magic of it. Happiness is our true nature. We just have to kind of relax into it and think into it. <laughs> yes, thank you, Rebecca, for that. It makes me think of, uh, uh, I know Jerry Seinfeld is a big advocate of, of meditation. And I've heard him say on, on an interview, he said, if he goes to pick up his daughter from school and he's a little cranky or something, his daughter will say, Dad, did you not meditate today? So she can always tell the difference. <laughs> All right. I have a call here for you, too. And welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Uh, this is Jennifer Perry, and we're here with Dr. Greg Hammer. So just come in and introduce yourself. Hi. Nice to hear your voice again, Jennifer. Oh, nice. Hi, Diana. Oh, yeah. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> Me too. So my question is this. Sometimes people try to do their best not to feel overwhelmed and not to stress about things, but they just cannot cope with it. What is your advice, especially right now people are dealing with so many things, one thing after another. What is your advice? What people should do except meditation, what else they can do so they can take care for themselves? Well, I think that's a good question, Yana. Um, the fact is that when we're in the present moment, we're happy. If you think about the happiest times you've had, I don't know if you like to hike. If so, if you can imagine walking through the forest and you're surrounded by these beautiful tall trees and, again, the sunlight sort of filtering through and uh, the way it feels with each step kind of walking on this soft bed of pine needles or what have you, the, the smell, all of your senses are kind of stimulated in a positive way. In those moments, you're very happy. You're not really thinking about what happened yesterday or worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. So 
I think the idea is that if we can be in the present moment, and this is really the only moment that we ever truly experience, the past and the future are just a series of thoughts. If we can bring ourselves to the present moment, we will be happy. And so it doesn't have to be a meditation. It can simply be a momentary appreciation for what's actually happening around you right now, whether you're you know, taking a walk outside and you can bring your attention to how clean and fresh the air smells and uh, how, how cool the breeze is and the beautiful way the trees are kind of, the leaves are shimmering a bit with the wind. Um, there's always an experience that you're having that you can bring your attention to and find peace and happiness in that moment. So, you know, there are so many tools that we can acquire and all of us have the ability to, to bring our attention to the present moment. We just, we sort of need a practice um, so that we can think beneath tendency to have this negativity bias and this obsession with the past and the future. Um, but again, I think it's all very simple. And, uh, you know, these are tools that we can all acquire. It's just a matter of bringing our attention to the present moment intentionally without judgment. Dr. Hammer, I've heard you say, or I think I've read that you said, listening to your heart will guide you in the right direction. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, uh, that's some, you know, because you said, you know, uh, things like should, if you think what you should, should should do, should have done, you always get, it, it brings stress, anxiety, what I didn't do that I should have done. But listening to your heart, following your heart, it seems like that, that seems to be linked with your, your, your breath and your soul. I don't know how. I'm, I'm, not, the, um, I'm not the doctor. <laughs> I just think that when I listen to my heart, it, it, that's when I'm, I'm still and I breathe and I take in and I'm conscious of it. And that seems yes, to I make mean- an effect. Yeah, I think, you know, whether you call it your heart or your your soul, I think that really how simple it is just to bring your attention to the present moment and, and focus on what's happening right now, whether, you know, how many of us have a meal where we barely even taste the food and we don't, we're, we're thinking the whole time we're eating about what we have to do next. So we may have a quick bite to eat at our desk at work or in our home office uh, in the middle of the day, and we're not really enjoying the food the way we could. So on the other hand, what if we really bring our attention to the present moment and when we have that next bite of food, we just focus on all the flavors that are stimulated as the food is in contact with different parts of our tongue and our mouth, and we just think about the burst of flavor when we take that next bite, and we think about the miracle of where the food came from, that uh, perhaps if you're having uh, a piece of fruit, you you think about the fact that this beautiful tree grew, maybe somebody intentionally planted a a fruit tree in in an orchard and uh, took care of those trees, watered them, uh, fed the soil, uh, and then watched the, the fruit grow and harvested the fruit and packaged it and had it shipped to your grocery store or to the farmer's market, and you could just simply pay a few bucks and have a, a bag of this fruit, and then now you're sitting at your desk and you're 
your mouth is just sort of bursting with the flavor of this peach, for example. I mean, it's, you know, there's a miracle in every moment of our lives. We just have to bring our attention to that present experience. And, that you know, I believe. That can be considered, yeah. I do. It sounds like, uh, like my ja- um, in, in Japan, Japanese friends told me that before uh, a meal, they'll say, ite dekimasu. And they're thanking everybody, from the farmer to the earth to the sun, everything that had to do, and, and the workers and the people that even drove the trucks to bring the food to your store. It's thanking everybody that had something to do with it along the way. And, That's uh, a beautiful practice. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And Diana, thank you. I mean, excuse me, Diana, thank you so much for your call. Oh, Diana, um, I'm sorry. I thought it was Diana. Diana. Uh, Diana. That this is just temporary distraction, and the thoughts come back to you again and again, and how you cope with it also. <laughs> okay. And Diana, you mean uh, the negative thoughts coming to you again and again? Yeah, exactly. You you enjoy this moment, your food and everything, and then when you finish, you're back to where you were, square one, thinking about the same thing. Well, I, I can only tell you that the more you develop this practice of appreciating the present moment, the easier it is to go back to that. And so, and the more sensitive you are to where your mind is going otherwise. So you'll notice as you kind of develop your own practice that you notice when you're being negative, when you're being ridiculous, when you're feeling ashamed of something that you said the other day. And, you know, because of our negativity bias, we sort of exaggerate these thoughts, um, you know, how, how embarrassed we are, what have you. Actually, you may not have said anything embarrassing at all. But you, you can become, over time, the more you practice, more sensitive and, and, and more open to catching yourself having this negativity bias and just mm-hmm. then having a laugh and recognize what you're doing and sort of drop those thoughts and return to the present moment. So, I mean, over time, you become more proficient at thinking into the present moment. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And, and I think we can all make little progress little by little, baby steps, a little bit every day. There's no such thing as failure. And months after we've really begun this journey, we can look back and realize how far we've come and, and how we've sort of taken control over our thoughts and how we've really become much more positive in our outlook. So it's, it's just baby steps. Uh, don't be self-critical. There's no such thing as failure. Little by little, we can really change the way we think. Yeah, thank you so much. Definitely take training. And if you do this just a little bit every day, sooner, in, yeah. sooner or later you're going to be able to cope in a completely different way with everything and forget and probably say to yourself, oh, there is no point to do this. I just have to stop these thoughts and stop paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. I right. think you've got it. Yeah, yeah. And D- Diana, you're you're a, you're an award-winning podcaster and singer and writer of several books, um, a life coach. Yeah. I, I I think yeah, you can explain this better than I can. So anyway, thank you so much for calling, sweetheart. I'm so glad you yeah, called. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Have a, good, have a wonderful day. All right. Have a good evening. Okay. So. Dr. Greg Hammer, chair of the Physician Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. Yes, so it's not just us, it's doctors that need help too. 
uh, with stress, even more so probably, I'm sure, than most of us these days. Dr. Hammers, your book, Gain Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals, and I think it's for all of us, actually. Uh, oh, it's an award-winning book, uh, number one bestseller, and it still sells good, like when it first came out. So I want people to know they can get it um, probably from your website, greghammermd.com, or from any other bookseller, Barnes & Noble. And Yeah, I, I, it's, uh, if they go to my website, greghammermd.com, they can find the link to the, where the book is sold, greghammermd.com, or just go to Amazon and with Gain Without Pain and my name in the search box, and, and it'll show up that way as well. And to be sure, I will be sharing um, information on how to get your book in all of my social media, and not just for Madam Perry Salon, but also my, my uh, Jennifer Perry social media. I'll be sharing the website and links to purchase your book from different places, depending on what where people like to purchase their books. And I will... Yeah, I'll be sharing the links to your website, where to buy your books. I will not share your Skype name, okay? (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) They can find that for themselves. Anyway, (laughs) so Dr. Hammer, I I am just so happy to have that you came back uh, to Madame Perry Salon, and it's been an absolute pleasure. You're the man with the message for our time right now. even more so than usual. Well, it's a pleasure being with you. Thank you. And uh, so I'm going to close with uh, with my theme song that I wrote, Everybody's Got to Swing. And, uh, yeah, meditate, people. I'm Madam Perry, and I love you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.